Good morning. This is from the first book of Corinthians. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Thank you, John. Maybe you saw, I hope you did, see the warning signs when you walked in. There should be another warning sign right behind me. I just want to say, put it out there right in the beginning, we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable at all. We're going to talk very straight for the next month and a half. And if that makes you uncomfortable, we want to let you know early on, or if you have a child here and you don't want your child to hear that kind of straight talk of the issues we're going to talk about, then we want to let you know beforehand so you can make a decision now about what to do rather than in the middle of the message what to do. So we're going to talk very straight uh, for the next month and a half. I'm going to ask you to be patient with these messages. Can you say, be patient with me? Be patient. I want you to be patient with these messages. These are not standalone messages. All of these messages need each other. I can't just speak this one message and you're just, oh, yeah, um, you might hear something and you only hear half of the story and you're, you, you get all heated and upset and offended. And we want you to be offended about the things that you really need to be offended about. So you need to hear the whole thing to decide whether or not you need to be offended. This material, Paul says it himself in chapter 1. He said it's, it's, it's foolish. Paul really pushes. The Bible really pushes this really hard. And Paul says in the beginning, he says, this is offensive and foolish. It's offensive to some and it's foolish to others. So what I want to encourage you today and every day is to give this a full hearing, a full hearing. Just don't hear one thing 10 or 15 minutes into it and say, ah, give it a full hearing. Can you say that with me? Full hearing, full hearing. I just want to remind you to be patient and give it a full hearing. Just be patient with the entire process. Uh, we are a church for people who don't go to church. That means that we are a church. We're a church for churched people, and we are a church where people who have never been to church before in their life, and by the way, if that is you, if you would classify yourself as a non-churchgoer, you can look around this room. Maybe you think, oh, yeah, look at all these churched people in this room. Well, at least 30% of the people in this room are, would classify themselves as non-churchgoers. So you need to know if you are a non-churchgoer, that's how you classify, you're amongst many friends in this room. At least 30% of you would classify yourself 
that way. And so we're a church for people that don't go to church, um, enjoy coming to. Now, throughout this series, Paul is going to push, the Bible is going to push different limits and it's going to challenge, the Bible's always challenging us. And we tend to polarize around two different, you know, sides a lot of times. And so church person, non-church person, different times, we're going to challenge different ways. I just want you to know that's coming. Today, today, Paul is going to challenge the churched people. Today, Paul, so if you're a non-church goer, I think you'll find this interesting but you can just sit back and listen, and hopefully it'll be informative. But if you're a churched person, I'm a churched person, right? I've been in church all my life. This has stretched me a lot. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, well, we need your help. We surely do. Be with us. Help us to understand your word. Help us to understand what's being said here. God, that we might get the most out of it, and that we might learn and grow, be the people that you want us to be. In Christ's name. Amen. All right. Before we can get into the book of 1 Corinthians, we need to understand a little bit of something about the people in Corinth, about the city of Corinth, and what it's really all about, what's going on. So I have a number of fill-in-the-blanks that kind of just put a framework around this city of Corinth that's going to help us understand these people to whom this letter is being written to. And then we're going to say, do we have any similarities with those people? All right, so here's the thing. You need to know, Corinth was very educated. Very educated. Paul says in chapter 1, verse number 20, he says, you know, to the the wise and to the scholar. You know why he said that? Because they really were proud of their education. They were a little bit bit uppity, snobbish about their education. They were smart and they knew it. There was a lot of advanced degrees in the city of Corinth. It was a smart city. The first thing I want you to know. Second thing I want you to know, they were very, very wealthy. Very wealthy people. Money which is pouring into Corinth. We have a map here we want to show you of Corinth real quick. You can see it. You see where Corinth is there in the big cutout? All right, Corinth is right, that little, that little piece of land on both sides of the sea. They had two ports. And because ships didn't want to go down the bottom of the isthmus down there because it was very dangerous, they wanted to come into that port. And so what Corinth did was... That distance was less than six miles. They built a little roadway that they could actually put the boat, take it out of the water, the big boats, take it out of the water and take the goods on the boat and pull it across to the other port on the other side. They had money coming and going is what I'm trying to tell you. They were extremely wealthy in Corinth. Third thing about Corinth is they were very fit, very fit. They were very much into image. Their athletes were superstars back then. Athletes were superstars and they were very fit and they were very much into image. The Ismissian Games, the Ismissian Games was second only to one other famous sporting event. Does anybody want to guess what the other famous sporting event was second to? The Olympics, thank you very much. Second only to the Olympics. The city, number four, was very transient. People were constantly coming and going. One Bible scholar said it was like Las Vegas and New York City all rolled up into one. People coming and going all the time. They were very hungry. They would gorge themselves. They would just feast and feast and feast, and then they would throw up and they would eat more. And we get a little bit of that, a little bit of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We see how it says, Paul says, you're, you're drunk. He's not talking about just drunk on wine, although they were, but they were also drunk on food. They would just gorge themselves. And the last thing I need you to know about them, to put all this in context, is, is they were very sexual. Very, very sexual. They coined a slang, a slang term called to be Corinthianized, to, to 
be like a Corinthian. And what that simply meant is, is if you saw somebody, you said they're acting the part of a Corinthian, right? They're, they've been Corinthianized. It meant either A, they were drunk or wanted to get drunk, or B, they wanted to have sex or they wanted to do both, right? And they could almost use it like a pickup line. Come here, baby, I want to Corinthianize you, right? So this is, <laughs> this is, this is how, this is the deal back then. Now, <clears throat> this caused them some issues and, and, and today, in a museum, in modern-day Corinth, listen, what they did is they excavated what I'm getting ready to tell you out of the ruins of old Corinth from the Bible days. And, and you know what they found? They found all these clay votives, these little clay molds. You know what they were clay molds of? They were clay molds of human genitals. And what people would do is they would make this little clay mold, and they would take it to many temples all over and they would take it to one of the temples because they had an STD and they would leave it in the temple as a prayer, right? And say, God, please heal this part of my body. So you, what you would see, and they, they, the large numbers they found of these in Corinth. And so what you would see is people, you know, with their walking to the temple, you know, and you, sh- you know, you know, there was some guy in that town. He was like, you know, <laughs> got a cart taking it. You know, that somebody was doing that. Okay, but but what they what I'm telling you is is that this is what they this is what they would do this is this, this is what they do in the town they found large numbers of these because S, STDs and venereal disease and all that absolutely ran rampant. Now, is there any connection to Washington D.C.? Does Corinth have any? Do we have any similarity? Any, anything in common? All right, Arlington County said this before. Arlington County, most educated county in the United States of America. We all know that. We've said that many times. But I don't want to leave Alexandria out. Anybody here from Alexandria? Can we get a shout-out to Alexandria? Anybody from Alexandria? Okay. Alexandria, according to Amazon, is the most well-read city in the United States of America. So they're giving us a run for our money in Alexandria. Are we wealthy? Do we have that in common with corn? Money was pouring into corn. Do we have money pouring in here? In 20, uh, 2011, Loudoun County was number one, Fairfax County was number two, and Arlington County was number three, most richest counties in the United States of America, number three. Very fit. Well, I don't know how fit we are. I don't know how fit we are. Maybe you are very fit, but I know that we're really into image, both professionally and personally, so we have that in common with them for sure. Transient. Arlington County turns over a third of its population every five years. They were transient. We are transient. Hungry. Hungry. A guy told me the other day that a study was done, and it said this, that Arlingtonians eat out more than any other city in the United States of America except for one city. Anybody want to guess what the one city that beat us out was? New York City. Austin, Texas. (laughs) Don't like those Texans at all. They're always doing something. All right. So we have that in common. We have all these things in common. The last one is sexual. Are we a very sexual city? BuzzFeed reported this recently. It reported that Washington, D.C. is number one city in the United States of America per capita for viewing pornography. The number one city in the United States of America for viewing pornography is Washington, D.C. per capita. In Corinth, I need you to understand this. In Corinth... Divorce, got some of these things up here on the board over here. I'll turn to them in a minute. Divorce, adultery, fornication. We just said sex over there, but what it's talking about is sex. Any sex outside of marriage is called, this biblical word called fornication. Adultery, fornication, divorce was running rampant. If you went to a meal in Corinth, this was common practice. If you went to a meal, the host of the meal, of the feast, the strong connection between gorging yourself and, and being filled uh, sexually, satisfied sexually, this, 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 this 
orgy of food and sex would happen. This was very common. So you go into a meal in Corinth, and the host was expected to offer every single one of the males that come in, and they, would, they maybe would come in with their wives, but they were expected to offer every single one of the males sexual companions in addition to the food. And that sexual companion for this male would be either a male or a female, either homosexual sex or heterosexual sex, and they went back and forth all the time. This was common practice. This is what they would do in Corinth. The host, he would, he would be breaking social rules if he didn't offer sexual companions, male and female, to his male guest at these feasts, and they would feast. It was a, a moment of eating and lusting. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, what we hear about in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is that they are gorging themselves in church. We also get the picture that they're advocating, some of the people in the church were advocating for the rights to continue to go and have sex with prostitutes. So some people believe, because of this, that communal sex was going on within the church during the church services. And one Bible scholar wrote this. He said, instead of communal singing, they were having communal sex. I need you to get a picture of what the city of Corinth is like and the church and how it reflected that. In some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways. They would get drunk during church. Now listen, some of us maybe uh, know of somebody or whatever that went out and got hammered on a Saturday night and came to church on Sunday morning feeling guilty for what they did and like, oh my goodness, I should have never done that. I should have got hammered. They come and they feel guilty. God forgive me my sins. But how about this? How about not getting hammered on Saturday night? How about coming Sunday morning and getting hammered in the church service? This is what they did. Like, Hey, this church service is getting a little boring. So, hey, brother, you want to try some of this? It'll liven things right up. That's kind of what was going on here in Corinth. They were drinking right in the middle of the church service. There was a guy who was a part of the church who was having sex with his stepmom. He's having sex with his stepmom on a regular basis. This is a continual thing. This is what's happening in the city of Corinth. You understand? What, are you tracking with me what's going on in the city? There's a bad stuff going, some real immoral stuff happening in this city. And you have to ask yourself, why, Paul? Why would you go to that city? Like, that city's going to hell in a handbasket, man. Just give it up. There's no hope that people aren't going to listen to you there. Man, they're reprobates. Forget it. There's no hope for them. Why would you go there? And you, as you read this letter, I hope some of you have already taken the moment to read this letter. You get the idea pretty quick that some people in this city, some of the people in this church, some, not all, some, didn't have a lot of respect for the Apostle Paul. Now, I already told you they're really into image, right? Uh, we, 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 we don't get a lot about Apostle Paul and the way he looked and stuff like that from the Scripture. We get a lot about what's going on in his mind and his heart and all that kind of stuff. But there is a historical source that tells us this about the Apostle Paul, about the way he looked. He was short. He was bald. He was bow-legged. He had a big nose and a unibrow. Right? So that whole image thing, little short, bald guy with the unibrow, right? It wasn't working for them. Why, Paul, would you go to this city? What are you hoping to accomplish? There is one major difference between Bible times, between Bible times, today I'm preaching out of my burgundy and gold Bible, the major difference between Bible times, the, the movement, the movement of Christianity in Bible times as opposed to the movement of Christianity today. Here's, what, here's the deal. In the Bible, 
Like in the Bible, in the New Testament, Christianity was a urban movement. And today, Christianity, basically in the United States of America, is a suburban movement. We've seen that happen right here in Arlington County. I've lived here all my life. And though I was not born in the 50s, and I was not born for much of the 60s, here's what, I, here, here's what we saw. In, in, in the 50s and in the 60s, churches in Arlington County just thrived. I mean, they were outside of the evils of the nasty Washington, D.C. and all of its immorality. And this was the suburbs. I mean, can you imagine that? For some of you new to this area, this was like the sub, this is a little tiny sleepy town that was considered the suburbs of Washington, D.C. And in the 50s and 60s, churches in Arlington County just thrived. You drive, there's a church right down the street. Huge church. And like, man, there's only 50 people that go here. Why do you have such a big building? You know why? Because in the 50s and 60s, they were packed out like multiple times a week. Huge. And then the city grew. The evil city grew, and all of a sudden, Arlington County was no longer a suburb of Washington, D.C., and you know what happened? Churches on the ring of the beltway out in Fairfax County in the 70s just started to explode. Some of you have been around a long time, and you remember that. You remember the decline of the Arlington County churches, and all of a sudden, the churches in Fairfax started, and then the evil city grew. And in the 90s, all of a sudden, Loudoun County churches just exploding. You know why? Because God's out in the country. God's out in the suburbs where things are simpler and we don't have all these complexities of life and all the evil stuff and all the immorality of the city is going on. It's complex in the city. There's immorality in the city. My goodness, that's where God is. He's out in the suburbs. He's not here. But in New Testament times, Christianity was an urban movement, not a suburban movement. I want to read you a scripture. Revelation 21.2 says this. Apostle John is writing, he says, I saw the holy city, speaking of heaven. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. He didn't say, I saw a holy suburb coming down out of heaven from God. He said, I saw the holy city. He says, God says, heaven is a city. How about this one? Jesus is speaking here to his followers. He says, you are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. You're not a suburb set on a hill. You're a city center. You know, this is what you need to know right from the start. Jesus Christ is not scared of the immorality of the city. And that's why he sent the apostle Paul to Corinth. He's not scared of it. That freak him out. Oh, my gosh. He's not scared of it. He's not scared of the complexities, divisive issues in a divided city. Jesus Christ is not scared of it. Are we? If we are, why? And why is Christianity a suburban movement today instead of an urban movement today what does that say about us and our understanding of god's word here's what i'd like you to write in your outline on the back of that little blue bulletin god loves the city god loves the city he wants you to love it too he loves the city he wants you to love it too some of you have been called to the city and you absolutely know it you know you've been called to the city like yes god has called me to the city for a reason others of you have been called to the city you have no clue that god has called you to the city but you're getting ready to figure it out God's getting ready to tap on your shoulder and say, that's you. I've called you to this city. And many of us wonder, can God do anything great in this great city of Washington, D.C.? Like no other city on the face of the planet. Can God do anything great here in Washington? And if he is going to do something great, everybody, how? How? What's his message to the city? Well, what is Paul's message to the city of Corinth? This is super important. 
So we're going to slow down right here, and we'll see if we can't figure this out. Corinth is much like Washington, D.C. There is a clear, clear, focused message to the city of Corinth. So my understanding, if that message is to Corinth, it's the exact same message to Washington, D.C. What is that message to immoral Corinth? What would that message be? The fill-in-the-blank ends with the letter T. What do you think it is? Washington, D.C., Corinth, do what? Guess. Stop. Ends with a P. I don't know who said that over there, but <laughs> obviously not an Arlingtonian. <coughs> Ends with the letter T. Sorry. I know I've offended somebody already. Well, there's one person I've offended. Okay. <clears throat> Ends with the letter T. What do you think it is? Repent. That is the obvious choice to repent. However, it's not, it's not the answer at all. It's not the biblical answer. Whatever. Here's the biblical answer. It is what? Survey says it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message to Corinth, the clear focused message to Corinth and the clear message to Washington, D.C., one and the same, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the answer. So everybody, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, I know. I've heard that all my life. Church people, we've heard that all our life. The gospel. It's all about the gospel. What is the gospel anyway? What exactly is the gospel of Jesus Christ? So what did Paul go into going and says, you know what? I am resolved. That when I was in Corinth, and he was there for 18 months, I would do only one thing. And that was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing I'm doing. So what are you then doing? What is your message, Paul? Chapter 1, verse number 17, he says, I didn't do anything but preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if I did something else, I would have robbed the cross of its power. So we need to know. Now, this might be shocking. So here we go. Let's do a bunch of fill in the blanks. The gospel is not. What is it not? It is not rules. Oh, Christianity is a bunch of rules. No, it's not. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not rules. It's not behavior modification. It's not sexual morality. It's not righteous living. It's not instructions on holy living. The gospel of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with fornication. It's irrelevant. Nothing. It has nothing to do with sexual orientation. Nothing. Nothing. It has nothing to do with divorce. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about rules. It's not about righteous living. It, all of these things here, and I could put a million more signs up here, absolutely nothing to do with them. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not any of those things. And yet we would think in a city that is so immoral as Corinth that Paul would have come in and he would have spent all of his time talking about rampant divorce and homosexuality and fornication and all the other things that went with in that city, getting drunk. He would have, but he didn't. And he didn't do it for a day, everybody. He did it for 18 months. It wasn't like he was there for a weekend and said, well, let me just tell you about this gospel thing because that's all the thing I have time to tell you about. He was there for 18 months. And for 18 months, he preached one thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which is not rules, it's not holy living, it's not righteous living. What exactly is it? What did he do? The gospel, the very word means news. It means good news. It's like a reporter. What they would do back in those days, because they didn't have CNN and all this other kind of stuff, right? They didn't have that. They would send a reporter out, a news reporter, and he would go out and he would tell you the news about what has happened. And the gospel is the word news, good news. It's not good instruction. It's not good advice. 
It's not good information. It's, it's just good news. It's good news about something that's happened. What's the news? Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the only perfect person who has ever lived, has died and gained our victory. It's the good news about Jesus Christ. Some people say, yeah, I know exactly what the gospel is. It means I've got to get all the sin out of my life. That's not the gospel. You realize that? It's not the gospel at all. At all. Let me read you this verse. Romans chapter 5. Consequently, just as one, speaking of Adam's trespass, Adam's sin, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Now, here, watch this. Here it comes. So also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. See that part? I'm not going to read any more of that verse. I just want to, want to show you that one righteous act and people are justified. You know what the word justification means biblically? Basically, it means this. When God looks at us, justification, he sees us now just as if we had never sinned. Okay, so here's what it means. And Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the blameless one, the righteous one, died on the cross. We're told in the Bible that he became sin. The Bible doesn't say he became a sinner, but it says he took all of our sins, all of our imperfections, which we all have. I hope we're all in agreement on that much. We are all imperfect. He took all of them on, right? And so now when God Almighty looks at you and me, his view of us changes. Now, we... It says this is one act, right? One, it was one act. You don't become righteous in God's eyes because you did all these moral acts. You're, doing your th you're continuing to do your thing. You can try to clean up your life as much as you try to clean up. You're still unrighteous before God. But because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, he sees righteousness because his viewpoint has been changed because you have accepted the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Christ. This is what it means. And look what it says. It goes on. Romans chapter 3 drives this point home. But now God has shown us how to become right with him. How, to have a, how do I have a right? How can I know that my relationship with God is right? Man, we're just good. We're good. You know how times you do stuff? You do things that whatever you'll classify as sin. You know, I just, man, I'm just, I'm wrong with God. So I just need to get right. Look what this says. God has shown us how to become right with him. And what? It has nothing to do with obedience to the law. And nothing to do. In moral Corinth, we're not even going to talk about fornication and divorce and all of these things. That's not my focal point is what Paul said. My focal point is on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and his love for us. And Paul drives it. It has nothing to do with obedience. That's shocking. That's hard to take. It goes on. Paul's not done. He says this over and over and over again. Romans 3.28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. How about this one? Romans 4.6. In the scriptures, David talks about the blessings that come to people who are acceptable to God. Now watch, what, how does it end? Even though they don't do anything to deserve these blessings. Now, you know, it's not about immoral Corinth and immoral 
Washington, D.C. These issues don't matter. Now, some of us, some of us as I'm saying this, you're, you're like inside, you're going, oh, man, what? But, 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 okay. All right, that's good. Tell them about the gospel. But before you're done, make sure you tell them that they're a sinner. Some of us right now are getting ready to have a hernia. And there's a really clear reason why. We haven't embraced the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that makes the Christian church a Christian church. Forget all the other doctrines. Forget it. You don't have the gospel, you don't have a Christian church. Close the door, go home. This is it, everybody. This is it. This is one stop shopping. You get this thing right, you'll get everything else right. This is the only thing that matters. And this is what Paul is saying. In immoral Corinth, he said, I came for this. Next week, we will talk about chapter 3, which says the gospel is gold and it's silver and it's costly stones. But there's also wood and there's hay and there's going to be a fire of purification. And what is going to last in the fire? All of these other issues outside the gospel are all going to burn up and they're going to stand for nothing. You're going to stand. I'm going to stand before God. One day, they say, did you focus on this? Because if you focused on this, there's nothing there for you. It's gone. It's been burned in the fire. But if you focused on this, well, then you've got something to show for it. Read it. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15. It's the only thing that lasts. Massive difference between the two. They're not even closely associated. And we can't do anything to deserve it. Paul spends 18 months in Corinth talking about this Focusing on the gospel. Martin Luther, everybody. The great reformer of the Protestant Reformation, 1500s, writes this. God so used the book of Corinthians to open his mind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what he writes. The most damnable and pernicious heresy that has ever plagued the mind of man is that somehow, somehow, he can make himself good enough to deserve to live forever with an all-holy God. I want to ask you something. Your salvation, right? Your salvation or your spiritual growth, both things, your salvation and your spiritual growth. Is it mainly about you and what you do? I mean, I'm growing because, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm doing this or... I was saved because I repented of this sin and this sin and this sin and this sin. That's, that's how I got saved. I'm going to ask you a question. Your salvation, your spiritual growth, is it mainly about you or mainly about Jesus? That'll tell you whether or not you believe in the gospel. Is it mainly about what you do or what Jesus Christ has done? Which one is it? Martin Luther said when he finally realized it wasn't about him, he, he was a righteous, oh, righteous, moral. I mean, he was Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. He would drive in confession. He would drive the priest crazy. They were like, man, go, go and do a real sin and come and confess it, but don't come in and bring in us this lame sin stuff because he was, he was so straight line, but it was killing him. And he said, one day, one day, I understood the gospel of Jesus Christ and I had a breakthrough. Have you ever had that breakthrough like Martin Luther had? Have you ever realized this really is nothing to do nothing to do with you but everything to do with what Jesus Christ has done? Have you had that breakthrough? Have you ever experienced the flood of the Holy Spirit filling your life? Martin Luther said, I finally broke through. John Wesley reading 
Martin Luther's commentary in the book of Galatians said, you know what, my heart was strangely warm when I walked across the street. It was as if my feet were not even on the ground. Have you ever had the filling of the Holy Spirit like that because you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because when you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, all your strain and struggle with sin is over. Not worried about it anymore. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what fills us with his power. I want you to fill in this blank. This is really important. The gospel of Jesus Christ is Jesus plus nothing equals acceptance by God. Jesus plus nothing. Oh, yeah, but wait a minute, John. Tell them about they got to do this and this and this. No, 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 no. The gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation and spiritual growth, which we're going to hit hard next week. Salvation and spiritual growth is rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which means Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. Paul comes to town. He doesn't focus on fornication, divorce, homosexuality, any of these things. He said, if I would have done it, it would have robbed the cross of its power. It would have robbed the cross of its power. Somebody's saying, man, John, that's just like, you can do anything. Just willy-nilly, whoo I'm free. No, 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 no just, that's, just, there's a big difference. I am trusting in the righteousness of Christ. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean I'm just, oh, I can do anything I want to now. No, it means I'm trusting that Jesus Christ was perfect. I'm trusting in the righteousness. You need to grapple with that and understand there's a massive difference between those two. Trusting in the gospel. Which Jesus plus nine. I want to read this verse to you. Galatians chapter one. Galatians, Romans, Corinthians, awesome books about the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. Check this out. Please circle these next two words on your outline if you have one in front of you. To rescue us, to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom glory forever and ever. Amen. The picture that is given here is of a person who is drowning. I mean, they're going to die. They're drowning. They're drowning in sin, right? They are not going to make it. And they need somebody to save them. Because here's the person right down here in this pool. And they're drowning. And they don't know how to swim. What are we going to do to save that person? Huh? What are we going to do to save this person so they don't die? Do we say, hey, here's an instruction manual on how to swim. Take a read, man. This is going to help you. Look, no, don't, don't grab my arm. I can't help you. It's right here. If you do this, you'll swim. Hey, hey, listen. Stop fornicating and you'll float. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing is what it says. What we need is we need a superhero. And this is what Galatians 1 says Jesus Christ is. Superheroes do it all. They don't do part of the salvation. They don't do part of the rescue. They do all the rescue because you can't rescue yourself. This person is dead unless somebody picks him up out of the water and pulls him out of the pool. Dead. Kick his legs all he wants. He's dead. He needs somebody to do it all. Jesus plus nothing. So you've fallen out of an airplane at 30,000 feet. You are rocketing to the earth as fast as you go. You are just dead. Who, who do you need? You need somebody to come along to you and say, Hey, look, change your sexual orientation and you can fly. No, you're dead. You can do behavior modification all day long. You're still dead. You need Superman to come along and pick you up to do something that you could never do by yourself. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, everybody. It's Jesus plus 
nothing. And Paul hammered that point home for 18 months over and over and over again. What is the Christian church about? Let me wrap up with this. What is the Christian church about? It is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, we don't have a Christian church. It's the only thing that matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do people view the Christian church today? Well, in New Testament times, someone say, hey, that church in Corinth, what, you know, what is that all about? Well, it's about this guy named Jesus and that he's perfect, die for a sense. Now, I want to show you a book of this book. It's called Unchristian. All right, right here. Now, they surveyed 16 to 29-year-olds, people who they call outsiders, people who don't go to church. They said, tell us, what is the Christian church in America all about? So let's see, what do they say it's all about? Number one thing it is, is anti-homosexual, 91%. 91%. You know what that says to us? We're off message. Way, way, way off message. You know what they're telling us? You know what they're telling us? That we don't believe in the gospel. They're telling us we don't believe in the gospel. Yeah, but John, homosexuality is sin. What they're telling us is we don't believe in the gospel. Paul walked into a town riddled with immorality, and the only thing that he knew in that town was the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are way off message, and the world is telling us you don't even believe in the gospel that you say you preach. Jesus plus nothing makes me acceptable to God. I have a quote here I'll put up uh, for you. This is the guy who wrote the book on Christian. He says, we have become famous for what we oppose rather than who we are for. I don't get any phone. Ten years ago, I used to get these phone calls. Ten years ago, people call me. And, hey, pastor, look, um, <clears throat> I've never been to your church before. I'm interested in coming. You know, some people were Christians. Some people weren't Christians. Some people are on one side of the homosexuality issue. Some people are on the other side. And they all had the same, they all had the same question. I used to get calls 10 years ago about Jesus. But, but 10 years ago, all this changed. I haven't had a call about Jesus in the Bible in over 10 years, everybody. I get one phone call. One phone call. It's always the same question. Hey, I just got one question before I come to your church. I need to know where you stand on homosexuality. Oh, really? Do you want to know how I stand on Jesus in the Bible? I, I don't really care about that. I don't really care about that. I just want to know, where, where, do you, where, where do you stand on homosexuality? In comparison, everybody, in comparison to Paul, Paul's words, Paul's words, in comparison to the gospel of Jesus Christ, these issues over here mean almost nothing. Paul's words, not mine. Paul's words, not mine. In comparison, all this stuff over here is going to burn up. And the only thing that's going to last, the only thing that's going to be standing is this right here. What is our message? We are off message majorly. God thinks the answer to an immoral city is not talking about all the sins. God thinks the answer, this is God's opinion, he thinks it's the gospel. Maybe he knows what he's talking about, I don't know. Look, Paul gives us a picture in here. I got to skip this, I got to finish. Okay, I'm sorry, here's the deal. <clears throat> I want you to make the gospel of Jesus Christ your rallying point. I'm asking you to see and to think and to reflect on what Paul is saying here and to consider making the gospel of Jesus Christ your rallying point. Not this. Not this. I'm not saying, oh, John, you said these, 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 you know, these are totally irrelevant. I'm, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying in comparison to the gospel they are. I'm asking you to make the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Paul, according to God's word, your 
rallying point. Now, next week, I want to say one thing about next week, and then I want to wrap up. Honestly, I'm going to wrap up because I'm going to get in trouble if I don't. Next week, I have an important message that I want to try to give voice to from the scriptures. Okay? And I think it's going to be a time of healing and hope. There has been a terrible misunderstanding about the gospel. There's been a terrible misunderstanding about salvation and spiritual growth. And I want to see if I can do my best to clear that up. I have a message. And I, want you, I, I would like you to come back. I would really like you to consider bringing a friend with you next week. Now, I'm not normally, for those of your guests, I go, oh, man, this guy's always, he must be really pushing. No, I'm not. This is, I've never done this before. We need to talk about these things. And I'm going to ask you to bring a friend with you next week. The message next week is entitled F-U, okay? You, you tell your friend, I want you, I'd like you to come with me to church. Okay? The message is titled F-U. Now, I have, I have I'm going to explain that next week. I don't have time to explain now. I want to explain it to you next week, but I just want to ask you, please consider uh, bringing a friend with you uh, next week to church. So let me, let me close with this. Everybody seen that famous uh, Seinfeld episode, The Soup Nazi? Everybody say that? <laughs> I, I know some of us don't watch uh, Seinfeld, but I think everybody who has seen Seinfeld at some points knows this famous Soup Nazi thing. So the deal was Soup Nazi was customer service in the Soup Nazi store was horrendous. I mean, it was absolutely terrible. But you know what? They got one thing right. They got the soup right. And you have to know why you exist, right? So if they didn't get the soup thing right, everything else would have been... Te- why do we exist? What is the Christian church all about? Have you, ever, have you ever been, like, to a store one time, and maybe there's a whole long line of customers, and they're all standing there at the cash register waiting to buy something, you know, and they've got a whole long line of people, and here's an employer, two employees, and they're over here, and they're doing something important, like maybe they're sweeping the floor, and that's good. We need to sweep the floor. We need to sweep the floor. But there's a long line of... Do you think that store's going to be in business long? It's not going to be in business, because you've got to know why you exist. Somebody say, why, why, why did that church go out of business? I mean, what? I don't know. They had a really great product. They just weren't selling it to anybody. What do you think about that Jesus store that went out of business? Well, they kept a really clean store. They kept a really clean store. It's not about a clean store, everybody. It is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you this at the end. Are you willing to rally around the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you know why in the book of Acts, everybody, do you know why in the book of Acts it says that they turned the world upside down and the power of the Holy Spirit was whooshed, filling the church in a mega, mega way? Do you know why? They weren't focusing on, on moral reformation. They weren't focusing on behavioral modification. That's not what brings the Holy Spirit. What brings the Holy Spirit is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The great reformation of Martin Luther. Did we have the great reformation of the 1500s of Martin Luther because of behavioral modification, dealing with all the sins of the day? No, it happened because the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus plus nothing is the reason it happened. John Wesley and the great spiritual awakening that happened in the 1700s. Why did that happen? Did it happen because he said, hey, look, man, we've got to reform society. We've got all these evils going on, all these immoral things happen. We've got to, we've got to... No. The reason his heart was strangely warmed and he could walk across the street like he was walking on air filled with the Holy Spirit is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a movement here in the United States of America, late 60s, early 70s, called the Jesus Movement. 
right? Some of you are old enough to remember the Jesus move. I'm barely old enough, but I remember the stories that I heard from the late 70s. And you know what it said? That this, this wind, and church people, don't we long for revival? Don't we long for spiritual awakening? What's going to bring it? Oh, let's talk about homosexuality all day. That's what's going to bring revival. Let's talk about fornication, adultery. That's what's going to bring revival. You know what brought revival in the 60s and 70s? For every story that I heard from people say, you know what? They focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was listening to a professor, and he was talking about this. He said, I had a guy in my class, this young guy, surfer kid from California. He was high stoned out of his mind on a beach in California. And somebody walked up to him, and you know what they said? Jesus Christ is righteous, and if you'll claim his righteousness, you will be righteous before God. Do I have to stop getting stoned? We ain't even talking about stop getting stoned. I'm not going to deal with your marijuana use at all. All I want to talk to you about is Jesus Christ. Well, that's crazy, John. Everybody, listen, Paul is really clear here. If we'll rally around the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will blow into town. And that's a force and a power like we have never experienced before in our life. The Holy Spirit does not come because of moral reformation. The Holy Spirit comes because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my question is, don't you want to be a part of a church like that? Does anybody here want to be a part of an exciting church like that that is focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit? Does anybody want to do that? That's what we should do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and close. Some of you, some of you today for the first time, you, you, you're starting to break through. Like Martin Luther, you're starting to understand the gospel. You're starting to break through. We have wonderful people right over here on this wall, the prayer team, and they've been praying all summer for this moment right here. Do not, do not walk away. Allow them to pray with you that you might break through Jesus plus nothing. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to end they're going to be over there 10, 15 minutes against that wall if you want somebody to pray with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But you've freely given it to us, and you don't ask anything back. Your love, your generosity, your sacrifice is absolutely amazing. Help us, Lord, to forever rally around your awesome gospel. In Christ's holy name, amen. Okay, God bless you. Before you go, you know, we have community group signups. And if you're new, if you're a guest, you see this clock right here? In two minutes and 55 seconds, grace in five right over here. Everything you need to know about grace in five minutes. God bless you. Thanks for being here.